Hi, the Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reeves. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the June 20th, 2018 broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio, one day removed from the 2018 Juneteenth commemorations. On and near this day in history, on June 19th, 1865, Juneteenth, the anniversary of the alleged end of slavery, is recognized across the country. Today marks the anniversary of when General Gordon Granger arrived in Texas with his Union soldiers in 1865 and proclaimed that the Civil War was over and that slaves there were free. The holiday is the oldest celebration of the alleged end of slavery in the country. <clears throat> Granger arrived with the news more than two years after President Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, 
But after General Robert E. Lee surrendered, Granger had enough manpower to actually enforce Lincoln's order, according to the Library of Congress. The order issued by Granger said, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights. The Emancipation Proclamation itself was not effective in freeing the slaves because not only did some plantation owners not tell their slaves, the proclamation was restricted to the rebellious states that had seceded from the Union. The proclamation didn't free the slaves living in the states that had not seceded or those that were under the control of the Union at the time. When the proclamation was issued, according to the Library of Congress, it was also issued before the Union won the war and was dependent on that win. In direct action news, we would say, like to say uh, the call for a Juneteenth 2018 mobilization against prison slavery from Spark this year has concluded. We want to thank our supporters of New Abolitionist Radio, as well as those of Operation Push, for your efforts in bringing the truth to a party of lies. Another event yet remains on the horizon, and that's a nationwide prison lab slave labor work strike that's being called for on August 21st through September 9th. If you know someone inside, please tell them what's going on. Then there is the Right to Vote campaign. They need your support. It's a nationwide campaign being initiated by people currently confined in the United States. This campaign grew out of the August 21st National Prison Strike Demands, specifically point 10, the voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pre-trial detainees, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is William Cooper, William Cooper Nell, 1816 to 1874, an abolitionist who, like myself and my experiences in trying to garner the support of the black church and the Quaker community, denounced all religions in the United States as pro-slavery advocates due to their absolute silence on the subject. As Dr. King said, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. A writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad are the Central Park Five, Raymond Santana, Kevin Richardson, Antron McRae, Yusef Salam, and Corey Wise. Five black and Hispanic boys, ages 14 to 16, who at the time of their arrest claimed that incriminating statements they had given had been coerced by the authorities. The statements were ruled admissible, and the men were convicted in two separate trials in 1990. They had been accused of violently raping a woman in the New York City's uh, Central Park. Now, President Trump bought a full-page ad in the New York Times calling for their deaths. Hillary Clinton used them as examples in her super predator speech demonizing black and Hispanic boys. In 2002, Matias Reyes, a convicted murderer and serial rapist in prison, confessed to raping the jogger. And DNA evidence confirmed his guilt. He knew facts about the crime that only the offender could have known and also said he committed the rape alone. The men were exonerated and the city settled the case for $41 million in 2014. If you participated in Juneteenth celebrations, we want to hear from you. So call in tonight. Also, we've got a lot to cover, so let's really just go ahead and get to it. Be sure to follow the information we provide on our Facebook page at New Abolitionist Radio so you can see it in real time as we talk about the stories. Also, remember to support our efforts by joining us as a member at community.blacktalkradionetwork.com. You'll find the links for today's programs on our abolitionist planning page. If you've got a question or comment, you can call in at 704-802-5056. 
and you can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Hey, I'm doing, as they say. I'm doing. I'm walking no, on top tell- of it still. Man, I thought, I thought I wasn't even on for a moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad that you were say able again, to Scotty, make it. Say again, Scotty, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I said I know you're glad. I'm glad that you were able to make it because I know you've been feeling, you know, under the weather here uh, in the past few days, man. So I was actually prepared to do the show alone or, you know, with some volunteers who stepped up. So I'm just so glad that, you know, you were feeling better and able to put together the program for tonight. Uh, hey, Scotty, you sound very far away and low. I don't know if it's just me, uh, but I, I, I can hear you, but just barely. Yeah, that's probably that's probably me. Is that a little better? That's probably. There you go. Yeah, but I'm <laughs> yes, also a lot hearing better. myself yeah, exactly. come back that to me. Are, Thank- are you listening to me on a Thank speaker you, or something, an external speaker? It, it, does it sound like it? Yes, it, there is about a two-second delay when I, I speak, I have my earphones on. Okay. Yeah, but we can hear it in the background. Okay. Hey, well, um, I'll make some adjustments as soon as possible, uh, probably while I'm talking. But yes, yeah, Scotty, I appreciate uh, your sentiments on that issue. Um, I can see my controls went a little haywire. That's what happened. All right. Is that better? Mike, check one, two, Can one, you hear me two. now, Scotty? You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. Microphone check. Yeah, let's get started, Max. Go ahead. Okay, Scotty, is that any better for you, brother? Yeah, um, still okay, yeah, I, I was just saying I appreciate your sentiments, man. But to be honest, yeah. Go ahead, Max. You're hearing my uh, comments late. Are we Are we still having a... Com- okay, I'm going to call in on my phone because my microphone system set up here to the uh, okay, Uber conference you- line doesn't seem to be working well for me, okay? Okay, while so, you do that, I'll be right I will just briefly uh, talk about one okay, of the why- stories, okay. and that's this you 17-year-old child being shot in the back. All right, Max. Okay. So, um, I don't know if you all saw the story earlier today. I saw it this morning. I actually published like a three second video to our YouTube channel and in btrcommunity.com because, um, you know, that's all it took. Um, actually the, I copied that from a video that was put out by a local news station and, Oh man, it's escaping me right now. Where did this happen? In East Philadelphia, Philadelphia, a suburb of Philadelphia. I don't have a story up right now. We'll get to the details later. But there was short uh, reports of shots fired in a um, drive-by shooting, and a and a twenty-year-old man was actually shot, but he was taken to the hospital. And he was survived and and released. He survived and was released after he was treated. So the police are saying that the they came across a car with three people in it that fit the description. One report said the back window was busted out or something. 
And so they pull, this one uh, cop pulls him over. All right. So while he's handcuffing the driver of the vehicle, the other two uh, people who were suspected of being in this drive-by then decided to run. One went in one direction, looks like the other went in the other direction. But the cop within seconds of the, and you could clearly see this young man, a 17-year-old student, um, see him in the video. The video was shot from quite some distance, you know, like maybe 50 yards or, or maybe 40 yards, something like that. Um, seemed like they were in the upstairs apartment because the angle was looking down on the st traffic stop. So you see the boy in the white T-shirt clearly running with nothing in his hand. He he takes like two or three steps, bang, bang, and he's shot dead, okay, within seconds. So, again, he's running. That means he was shot in the back, presenting no, no sort of uh, threat to the officer. Now, here's the thing. Here's something that came out just, be um, just before we came on air. The driver that they had arrested, the other person got away. They still looking for him. The driver that they had arrested, they said that they found two guns in the car. That's the report. But the person who was shot, the 17-year-old, was unarmed. Now, they released the driver. So what does that tell me? That perhaps there were lawful firearms found in the car perhaps the the report was inaccurate and there were no guns in the car um but regardless of that they, they shouldn't be judged guilty in the streets by a cop who's doing this investigation running is isn't isn't evidence of guilt people run from police out of fear just like you know we read the stories of the slave catchers of old and the violence that they would do and we see all these reports of people getting shot. Some people panic and they run. So that's not a death penalty offense running from slave catchers. Apparently, though, in some of these states, they do try to apply that. What's being applied here or what the apologists for the slave catchers are saying is that in Pennsylvania, that a police officer has, has wide discretion in shooting a person who is fleeing a felony crime or uh, is about to, you know, do harm to somebody. They got wide discretion. Here's the problem with that. At the arrest point or the detainment point or the traffic stop, that's an investigation. You haven't, there's nothing at that stage that has uh, judge these individuals, whoever they may be, is guilty of a felony drive-by shooting. Could be that they did it. Could be that they didn't. Why did they let the driver go? So these are some questions that I have, and I'll be asking in a later uh, video I'm going to put out when I uh, share the video because I found the unedited uh, version of the video. Um, Tariq Nasheed shared it on Twitter. I don't know where he got it from. But there's a young black woman, sounds like, who is saying, you can hear her say, and I'll play that if, if Max wants me to play it, but she's saying, why are they shooting at him? He's running. Why are they shooting at him? So, in my opinion, and I hope that most reasonable people will agree, is that 
after that community suffered a drive-by shooting, we don't know by who, they let the driver of the people they stopped go. So uh, what can I make of that? He wasn't charged with anything. He was released after questioning. Um, um, but, um, man, I lost my train of thought there, Max. Well, uh, what was I talking about? You were just talking about the 17 year old boy who was shot, uh, by police recently. Yeah. But in that stage, again, these are suspects. Suspect isn't the same as guilty or convicted of anything. You're in investigation, uh, investigation stage to determine if these people have been involved in a crime. And so one runs away because maybe they might think you're about to uh, plant some crack on them or something, you know, um, and they ran, but you killed this person. So, you know, lots to unpack there, but I do have, have, that, have that video, Max, if you want um, to get some of the narration because the, main, the mainstream media has edited out this young lady's commentary. They're using her video, but, you know, um, they edited out her commentary in the moments after the young man was shot. So, again, Tariq Nasheed posted to his Twitter account, and I bookmarked it. That's what I'm trying to get to. Here it is right here. And, um, you know, I think we should let a wit this witness, this was a witness, um, let her be heard, her initial reaction to this shooting. So let me get that queued up, turn up the volume. Why are they shooting at him? Let me no. restart that. Bear with me. Why are they shooting at him? No, I'm recording this. Why are they shooting? They All they did was run and they're shooting at them. So that I, I regained my train of thought. That was when you just open fire like that in a residential neighborhood, and y'all know how most city blocks are. The houses no more than ten feet apart, and you know one behind, right behind another. You know the police don't care. It seems that these bullets, if not if they don't hit their target, in this case, a seventeen-year-old high school student. Uh, his back was their target. If you miss, those bullets could easily, just like in criminal drive-by shootings, go into someone's house and, and kill someone. So this is like recklessness in putting the neighborhood in danger when you're supposed to be protecting them. You're going to take take shots at an unarmed child running away? Max, your thoughts. Um, you know, while you were talking about it, Scotty, I, I was remembering just a few weeks ago where we were talking about the police who tasted the boy who was riding a bike 15 years old while he was on it, uh, his four-wheeler, and the boy died, crashed into another car and died. Like, you know, you didn't expect that to happen. The boy's moving, riding at full speed, this 15-year-old kid, and you ride up on your police car next to him and shoot him with a freaking taser, and you think everything's going to end just fine, Right. Uh, and you remember, he, they would about some racist stuff with that. And then I was also looking at another uh, story about them doing that to another boy 10 years ago on a bike. 
And it just keeps reminding me that this is steadily happening almost on a daily basis. Last year, there was like six 15-year-old boys who had been killed by police. Remember, we covered all the stories. It's like they're killing these teenagers like tomorrow. And uh, we could probably do a program about every one of them for the rest of our life, the way they're going. Crazy. Yeah, it's just constant trauma. And I usually don't share these type of videos that show, you know, blatant violence, but it was shot at a distance, so you don't see any blood spatter or anything like that. Um, you see you can, the car. You can predict the outcome, Scotty. Nobody's going to be held accountable. Uh, very likely, if they go even to a grand jury, the grand jury will uh, decide not to indict. Well, I hope that's not the case. I, I, can't, I can't predict the future. I can look at trends, and the trends have been what you said. That oftentimes, and then you have a, a state legislature that will pass a bill that says that a citizen can be shot for fleeing a felony. Well, this falls under that classification, does it not? You thought they were involved in a drive-by shooting, which would be a felony. You pulled them over. Uh, you're, you're handcuffing the driver. For whatever reasons, the two other passengers decide to bolt. Maybe, maybe... It was some drugs in the car. Maybe some of them was on parole. Maybe some of them wasn't supposed to be all out the house and was on punishment and they didn't want to get arrested. Maybe they feared for their lives and they took off and ran. We can't answer that. I can't answer that question for you. But I do know that you let the driver go, which means that he was not, in, in my mind, means that he was not involved in this felony drive-by shooting, and therefore you just murdered a 17-year-old student by shooting him in the back. I hope, Max, that, that you know, we don't get the standard outcome. Um, I don't know what the demographics are like in that city. Even if it's predominantly black, often the jury pool is predominantly white. Okay, so, you know... We want justice, and I just want to send my condolences out to the young man's family. The reason that I started on this journey in 1995 was because of the murder of Lawrence Myers, who was shot in the back of his head, 16-year-old boy, out in downtown Patterson, New Jersey, by a white rookie cop. The conclusion of that uh, ended with the police getting a promotion and becoming the director of the local youth detention center. 1995 till today. Our children are dropping like the poem that came from Langston Hughes, uh, where he said, this is for the kids who die. Very much like that poem. It, it, and, you know, the justice never seems to come, but it does create families of freedom fighters, one after the other who have gotten, have gotten fed up, like I did, like you did, like many others have done. Um, it's just leading to a final conclusion, man. Like, you can't create this many enemies in your own nation. There's some things I wanted to cover today, uh, Scotty, uh, four particular topics throughout the evening. There, they, there are stories about them. Uh, one is the U.S. leaving the Human Rights Council. Uh, the other I want to talk a little bit about Juneteenth, uh, although we have covered it before. I want to talk about Charleston's apology for slavery. Because, you know, that's my neighborhood right here. They just, you know, uh, announced that they have formally apologized for their role in slavery. 
And then I want to talk about the immigration system and a lot of the talk that's going around where people are comparing it to slavery. Uh, we could do any one of those throughout the program. Uh, I did set up a video. I, gave, I put a link for a video in the uh, page there for you to check out, Scotty, and maybe play it. And that's the discussion about the U.S. leaving the Human Rights Council. You know, yeah, um, that's the one you want me to go to now. You're going to start off with that story? Yeah, I, I think that would be a good idea. Let's yeah. get Trump out of the way. Okay. We don't cover much. Just, just, just in case we don't get to it, I have to say, though, I have seen some of people using graphics displaying Africans in chains pre-1865 and then comparing it to these refugee children. I don't call people fleeing violence from CIA destabilized regions immigrants. They, did, they didn't choose to come here because they had, had you know, education and some resources and, and they was like, oh, I'm going to go to America and, and, and get the American dream. No, they ain't, it ain't happening that way. All right. Many of them are fleeing gun violence in their streets. They're like what you hear about Chicago, man, it's some places in, the, in, in these states. I mean, in, well, they're states, nation states. Um, it, that kind of violence don't even compare, you know. And so, you know, but I w- if any comparisons to slavery is going to be made, it needs to be made to modern-day slavery, not 1865 slavery or the 1800 slavery or the 1700s. This stuff is a- happening to American children, as I put out in a video. But I-, I-, I digress, you know. It just pisses me off that we want to make comparisons to slavery past, but we can't even see the slavery present. You know, you had Dominique Mitchell worked in the prison system in Texas with children for four years telling you about bruises, uh, meals being withheld, and all kinds, and, and the attitudes of the, of the uh, people that's beating the children. And, hey, hey where's the outrage, dude? Everything got to be on CNN, MSNBC before you get outraged about it, you know? Dallas local station put out a report. I shared that report through Black Talk Radio Network, but that that particular story didn't go viral, and and I, I have I have no bones about any coverage these uh, refugee children are getting. Okay, my bones is not with the children or their parents. My my bone to pick on lack of coverage is with the U.S. U.S. media for not letting people know the same exact thing, family separations is going on. Think about how them children in Pennsylvania uh, child court or family court felt when them two judges were sending them away to detention facilities while getting kickbacks, totaling millions of dollars. So um, let me go to this video that Max uh, queued up posted in the chat. By the way, you can also join us in the There's chat. There's mixed reaction to the U.S.'s decision. Max, is this Netanyahu applauding the United States for quitting the UN Human Rights Council? Yes. Decision to pull out of the UN's Human Rights Council. Some top UN officials say they're disappointed, but an American ally is applauding the move. We take this step because our commitment does not allow us to remain a part of a hypocritical and self-serving organization that makes a mockery of human rights. The U.S. ambassador to the U.N. says the council is biased against Israel and that countries such as Russia and China have stifled attempts to reform it. 
The announcement comes as Donald Trump's administration faces condemnation of a migration policy that separates undocumented parents from their kids at the country's border with Mexico. The policy has been described as unconscionable by the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights. In a tweet, he also criticized this latest move, saying the US should be stepping up for human rights. The UN Secretary-General said he wished the US had stayed part of the institution, noting it plays an important role. Haley says Washington's withdrawal from the Council does not mean it's backing away from its commitment to human rights. The decision was welcomed by Israel's Prime Minister, who said the Council is hostile and against his country. He thanked the US for what he called a courageous decision. This is not the first time the US has recoiled from an international initiative. Last year, its president said he would leave the Paris Climate Accord, and in recent months, he also scrapped the Iran nuclear deal. I believe that's it, Scotty. Um, there is their reasoning. And I also heard another, uh, saw another video where Donald Trump uh, was t calling the other members of the Human Rights Council hypocrites and such. And it really is very characteristic of the United States, very characteristic. It's, it's, it's something that we always seem to do. We don't want nobody to ever point out our dirty laundry. Hey, we are watch who most, you say we. Watch who you call it we. As a nation, as a nation. <laughs> I know yes. what you mean. Because <laughs> we're a part of it whether we want to be or not. We're here. And it's a super organism called America or the United States of America. And somehow or another, we contribute to everything that's involved in it. And that includes the taxes that you pay and the laws that you obey and the things you do to make a living. I mean, I'm as guilty as the next guy. <laughs> we yeah. all play a role. Yes. Somehow or another. Yes. And I just have trouble when... People say that, well, we shouldn't engage in politics. We shouldn't call these people. It's not going to make a difference or whatnot. Look, they're taking energy from you. Your finances is your energy. You're paying for this empire, okay? And you should use your status as a citizen to at least make your voice on these be heard or like Max started off with a Martin Luther King quote. You know, we, you know your silence is what's indicting you. Don't don't we have some responsibility over what our financial energy is creating? I, I, I you know some people may not see it that way, but I see it that way. Max, um, I'm a sinner. I'm as guilty as they come in everything that you can imagine. There is no law or commandment that I haven't broken, whether directly or indirectly. So I'm just as guilty as the next guy. That's what I'm saying. But let's uh, stay on track here with the human. Rights Council. The United Nations Human Rights Council is a United Nations body whose mission is to promote and protect human rights across the world. The UNHRC has 47 members elected for staggered, staggered three-year terms on a regional group basis. They were founded in 2006. The parent organization is the United Nations General Assembly. Just so you know, when they were started and what they were about. The actual first human rights groups began with slavery in the 1800s and the abolitionist movement. Using the excuse, and, and you know who used it was our former governor from South Carolina, Nikki uh, Haley, which isn't actually her name, but Nikki Haley is the one that uh, you know pushed this thing forward and talked about 
how, you know, people are, are against Israel. So now it's the United States and Israel against the whole world, apparently. In any case, just a couple of years ago, Scotty, you remember the United States bashed China about using prison slave labor to make commercial goods that were being purchased here by U.S. citizens. And when they made that statement, they were already employing over a million prisoners themselves, selling goods on the open market across the globe, like Idaho potatoes, for instance. It's frightful that at this point, as a nation, we are not being held accountable by anybody, and we don't want anybody to hold us. We don't want nobody to say this is wrong. Guess who will determine what's right and wrong? There's a saying, Scotty, that I've had for years, and it's that you don't let the criminal describe what the crime is. (laughs) You don't do that. You don't let a slaver tell you what slavery is. You don't let a rapist tell you what rape is. You don't let a murderer tell you what murder is. Anyway, Scotty, that's what I want to say about that at this point. And I think that's a dangerous situation. Nobody is going to hold us accountable as a nation for our crimes against humanity unless it's potentially an act of war. Well, Max, I never never have had the expectation that the United Nations was going to send some blue helmets to the United States to make them stop practicing slavery, to stop making them shoot down, shooting down uh, men, women, and children. Any of the foul things that they are doing, I've never expected the United Nations. Sure, and, and I appreciate you can send committees to investigate. You can tour the United States. You can write reports, and you can issue condemnations. But at the end of the day, your words on those pieces of papers ain't bringing no relief to no one. And I've never expected that. But, you know, um, really the U.N. is just like a world stage, literally a stage for for people to get up. And, and yes, they do engage in some resolutions and things of that nature. But it seems to me, man, and I'm, I may be ignorant here, but they have been involved in creating more problems than they have solved. So, you know, for, but Israel, you're shooting, you shot thousands of people, not a hundred, not a couple of hundred, you shot thousands of people participating in nonviolent marches called the March of Return. Because 60 years ago, the UN decided that they were just going to allow the creation of Israel on on land that was already occupied and the current occupants driven from their homes into the little old packed city of Gaza. And these people are marching to say they want their property back. No compensation whatsoever. Just kicked them out. Okay. And then they're doing this nonviolent march to raise awareness around the world. And then you got snipers just picking them off by the thousands, picking them off, maiming them, killing them, shooting doctors, shooting journalists, reporters. Okay. And this is what sparked the, the United States with its pro-Zionist Trump administration to walk out, to withdraw from this human rights body. Well, you know, I suppose that's that's your right. But 
Your words ring hollow by your actions. And the U.S. doesn't want Israel criticized for this stuff because it's stuff that is steeped in their history. They have much blood on their hands for allowing similar stuff to occur here in the United States. People murdered, ran off their land, not compensated for it. Same, same thing. So they're like kindred spirits nationwide. And then the United States is the one that are providing the military weaponry, the bullets, the bombs to be dropped on, on these people. I mean, we want to talk about Donald Trump want to talk about uh, pulling aid from South American countries as a threat. If they don't do something about quote unquote illegal immigration, but you will never hear this, hear this Zionist man talk about the number one, a recipient of this federal tax dollar money, your money, my money, going to Israel. Okay? So, you know, this was nothing but theatrics. There's no substance here. It's trying to call the UN body a hypocrite for calling out Israel. Give me a break, Max. I, uh, it's just it's disgusting and more and par for the course. Yeah, exactly, Scotty. I, I want to read a little bit more about the human rights uh, organizations. And this is just a, a paragraph I want to read. And make sure you pay attention to the very last statement. This comes from the Stanford Lawyer SLS, uh, this, and it's titled The Slave Trade and the Origins of the International Human Rights Law. came from 2011 by Jenny S. Martinez. This paragraph says, The abolition of the slave trade has received a great deal of attention from historians, but much, much less so from international lawyers. Yet the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade remains the most successful episode ever in the history of international human rights law. Slavery and the slave trade are among the few universally acknowledged crimes under international law. Though powerful countries today defend torture, another practice placed strictly off-limits by international law, no nation today officially defends slavery. To be sure, modern forms of forced labor remain a significant human rights issue affecting millions of people, but the type of widespread legalized chattel slavery that was commonplace in the 19th century has disappeared. What do you think, Scotty? I think the international law is, is there, Max, you know, to build a case on them. But again, where are you going to take them to court at, though? I'm trying to be a real a realist here. If we're going to end slavery in the United States, it's going to be done by the people living within the borders of the United States, perhaps with some allies on the outside, however that comes about, if it came about. But just like the first reset of, of ending slavery when, you know, our abolitionist ancestors made the first attempt, it, it was what? It was called the American Civil War. Perhaps that's what might happen here. Perhaps reasonable people who don't want to live in a nation still practicing slavery will create enough energy and do what is necessary to bring it to an end. But, you know, if we're talking international law, plenty of violations under international law. But who's the enforcer when we're talking about the United States? 
who's going who's going who's going to bring a case against Donald Trump? Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, Nixon. None of these people ever stand stand of uh, trial or their cabinets or their congresses yep. who are their accomplices. So if it's going to end, Max, it's going to be done here. We're going to have to. to mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you now. It is going to be done here, Scotty. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. But I also know that throughout the abolitionist movement, particularly prior to the Civil War, many abolitionists traveled internationally in order to garner international support. And it was through international pressure on the United States that led to the alleged abolition of slavery, or at least what we thought was freedom for a while. (laughs) So it, it takes a village. This is not just a United States problem, as you and I and others have documented so fully. Uh, This is going on now across the entire globe, and we witnessed it occur from the very beginning. (laughs) Amazingly, we have been here reporting about how uh, Brazil opened up its prisons to private prison industries and now have the most brutal prisons on earth that are for-profit. And uh, we remember when uh, Australia decided to go 100% private prison, the GEO group over there in Australia. We remember when the when Guantanamo Bay was housing Haitian immigrants for the GO group. Uh, and we, I mean, we've seen this thing happen and go on a global uh, scale where country after country adopting the same method that we're using, which they uh, basically refer to as using prisons as an economic development program. I mean, the first thing they did after the hurricane in Haiti was send a prison over there. And if you've ever seen the video of those prisons in Haiti, your heart will be freaking broke. You, you just wouldn't believe that humanity would do this to humanity. But this is what America has sown. This is the seeds of America's policy. We created this beast right here in the United States. And now the whole globe is using it as a model of enrichment. And they're using human bodies to do it. Remember, Turkey said they were going to build a couple of hundred prisons to house over 300,000 uh, dissidents. Dissidents. They're building for-profit prisons, and they're going to put people in there who they label dissidents. This is Turkey. Even Israel, the one that we're right now calling our number one buddy who is committing human rights atrocities, they have prisons that are managed by the same company. The same company. Right. And, so that's what I think, Scotty. I'm just saying yeah, it and, needs and, to be an international effort at every level. And the whole world is waiting for us to make some kind of a major move so they can follow suit. Right. You know, and we can't forget Israel's role in training. They often come over here and what, you know, the techniques that they developed in, quote unquote, policing the Palestinian population. They come over here and they teach uh, police departments, those techniques that they have learned. So, wow, you know, just a very, very uh, evil symbiotic relationship. If you have a question or a comment on any of the news stories that we share uh, on the topics that we're bringing up, please give us a call, 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. Hit star star. To unmute yourself, I'll see you on the board. Just watch your background noise. And we do have a call on the board from area code 903, Max. 
peace, brother Max. Brother Scotty, what's going on? Swift Justice, man. I just <laughs> listening in. Peace, Swift, and uh, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Right, always, brother. There's no doubt about it. Y'all doing all right? I can see. Max, you all worked up. But listen, I got. I, I want to know this, man. Why would the world turn around and go against what America has taught them? I mean, that is exactly what we American people and American government has taught the world to do is to take people into slavery. But that that's is- what they have done, Swift, and that's why the United States is pulling out of the Human Rights Council because other nations like Venezuela has condemned it. Even North Korea put out a video about slavery in the United States and how it's happening today through the prisons. North freaking Korea did that. Uh, Russia said the same thing. China has denounced our racism. All across the globe, people see what we're doing, and they're talking about it, and they're condemning us about it. And that's why we pulled out. Yeah, some of the nations, some of the nations are speaking out against it. Venezuela spoke out against it. A very long time. Man, my audio levels are just crazy tonight all over the place. But um, Venezuela actually in um, a peer review conference through the UN, this was two or three, maybe four years ago, uh, pointed to the 13th Amendment and said that the United States was still practicing slavery, not just with migrant labor but through the prisons as well. This was Venezuela. Of course, this wasn't on CNN. It wasn't on MSNBC. None, none of the alphabet boys, you know, under under the direction of the CIA, you know. So um, there are nations in the world who are aware of that this is slavery, and they reject that model. But as Max laid out, there are others that are, that are embracing it as economic drivers. Just the other day, I shared a video of Uganda, which has hundreds of prison farms growing cotton, taking advantage of the, of the cotton prices, as they was talking about. We got all this land with the prisons. We got all this labor. Hey, let's get these prisoners to grow some cotton, pick the cotton, and then we'll ship it out to our textile plants and then put it out on the open market. So, you know, hey, it's global, man. It's greed. It comes down to the individual soul of the nation. There's no doubt about it, but how you know how many models and how many things is it that we in America sit there and condemn other countries for, but yet at the same time we turn around and do exactly what we condemn them for? You know, I was just reading in the San Francisco Beijing paper uh, of this month where uh, Brother Kevin Rashad, Rashid Johnson he wrote the article about America uses military-grade chemical weapons on prisoners that it bombs in. Syria for using a civil war, but yet at the same time we practice this in everyday policing and Department of Correction agencies across our nation by using these same gases, tear gases, and sprays upon inmates daily. But yet we go and drop bombs on people who do this to their people. And I understand what 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 we're so-called doing, but at the same time. Why are we the biggest hypocritical nation there is in the world? It's okay for us to do it. Do as I say, not as I do. Type mentality that we have in America, and that's the way it's going on with the, with every every other aspect. And like I said, how many other models do we sit there and complain about and go to war about or, or strike about? But yet we still do that same thing here in America today. You know, you take the immigration 
children's separation from parents stuff. We would have been up raising hell if it was another country. But yet, we turn around and do it, right or wrong. You know, recently Scotty did a video about Juneteenth, and in it he read the words of Frederick Douglass and his denouncement of the emancipation as a stupendous fraud. And in that, he said some prophetic words. And he said, if we didn't nip this old South in the bud now, they would become masters of Congress. And if they didn't stop there, they would become masters of the nation. And that's what we're dealing with, a slaver's mentality, right? Truly thinking people ain't nothing but property other than that. And they buy us, they sell us, they work us, they brutalize us, they rape us, murder us, kill us, and they leave us dwelling in poverty and then hunt us like they're going into some kind of animal farm. What if it just, you know, I need uh, six prisoners to fill beds today, so let me go and uh, uh, stop and frisk a few people down here in this community where they have no money, because they're always going to be doing something illegal, right? I mean, that's how they did it. And even in the book written by Jay Mancini, One Dies Get Another, Prison Leasing, Convict Leasing in the American South, uh, he was talking about how if the local corporation like the mining corporation or the railroad corporation or whoever it was needed more laborers, they would contact the constable who would go out and pick up black people on black codes and slave codes and all these things and put them in there and then send them to the mines. Exactly, the slave catchers. So we're talking about a, nearly a trillion dollar industry and it's all built on human bodies on the possession of human bodies. The taxpayers here alone pay for every single prison inmate or jail inmate, whether it's in their state or the county or the city or whatever, but you're paying for that shit. But you know, Max, you get back down to, say, to the question, who's going to stop it? We the people. We, stop it. we the people, that's right. And and this is the sad part about it, and I've said this over and over in addresses and podcasts that, that, that we make all the time, man, uh, until the people stop fearing the government and start making the government fear the people again, it'll never end. You see that inside of our prisons today. You know, I pointed out to guys, as a matter of fact, I had the same talk with some guys today. I said, man, look, when these guys, we, we, we are hollering about how understaffed, especially in Alabama, the prison, uh, prisons are, but yet they'll bring four or five what we call slave catchers, turnkeys inside of here, and they put their hands on batons and spray, and they're going to make you catch your rack. They're going to make you get face down. And we're talking four, five, six officers compared to 200 inmates per cell. And no matter how white we are, the fear of what that spray is going to do or the baton is going to do or that you might lose a little good time or whatever, if we're in the right, we should be standing up against what we say we are in the right against, and they're trying to move against what we're in the right on, so why in the world aren't we standing up for it? Because when you get down and said with it, we have no more men mentality in the world. We have no more grown men mentalities, warriors, soldiers mentalities anymore. And I blame that on the fatherless generation that's coming up. Of course, you know, we haven't had fathers teaching uh, these young men how to be men and how to stand up for what they believe in. What's the old saying? If you don't stand up for something, you're going to fall for anything. And that's exactly what America's doing right now. Betsy DeVoe's brother uh, had this uh, military uh, group called, uh, well, they used to be called Blackwater. 
Um, and they also are part of Craft International, which is basically a lot of uh, retired soldiers who were top of their field and now become mercenaries. And they have a slogan. You know what that slogan says? Despite what your mama told you, violence does solve problems. No doubt about it. That's their personality. That's how they view it. The guy that shot that, uh, the white guy who was in the hotel hallway and on his knees begging not to be shot, on the side of his gun, it said, you're fucked. On the side of his gun. Well, you know, perfect example of that is the prison settings, man. If you have so much going on inside these prisons, whether it be these guys on drugs, whether it be guys stealing, robbing, um, raping, whatever it might be. But I'm going to tell you something, Max. I've seen countless murders over and over inside the prison system, especially here in Alabama. All right? And I was at one, at one of the world's, I mean, at one of the worst prisons there was here in the state of Alabama, Elmore Crest Facility. You know, Elmore, has, it was called Elmore. There was so much blood flowing over there. But this is what I recall, man. When these guys would get killed, your thieves, they would go and catch their rack. They would be quiet. Your rapists, they go catch their rack. They would be quiet. The loudmouths would go and catch their racks, and they would be quiet. Until that murder picture started wearing out of their head and then it had to be refreshed again for them to be reminded hey you will lose your life in this and violence does solve problems is it necessarily the humane thing to do do I sit there and, and, and boost it no I don't and it's sad to say that it takes violence in the mentality of the world that we have today in order to do it. I said it over and over and over again. In order for us to see anything actually take place in this prison movement, the tree of liberty will have to be refreshed again and again and again. You know, um, the only time that they turn around and the, and, the, and the United States starts listening is what? When South Carolina happens. Right. Exactly. When Attica happens. Yeah. Swift, you're absolutely right, brother. There are all kinds of ways that this thing can change. But I do see nonviolent changes coming uh, just by the number of abolitionists who have run for political office in the last few years. The number has been growing and growing and growing. Yeah, Max. In the nation. So uh, I also uh, have a person that called in, uh, as a matter of fact, and wanted to talk as well. So, Swift, if you don't mind, I want to bring somebody else into the conversation. Yeah. Uh, oh, Max, can you hear me? Am I, I is, now, is my Scotty. mic What's working? Up? All right, my audio level's just crazy tonight, man, for whatever What's reason. Up, so, but I wanted to just speak back to what Swift was saying about, you know, this ending. And as I expressed, you know, it may take another American Civil War. And, you know, there were nonviolent things. Everything Frederick Douglass and all the other abolitionists with the newspapers and, you know, their media of the day and giving speeches, that was the nonviolent agitation that preceded the violence. The America could have avoided that great bloodshed if they had only, um, you, you know, did what was the right thing to do, and that was to end slavery. So, but... When we, t I don't think it's as much as we're not being taught to be men or whatnot, but we have been programmed, and it starts very young, and this is why it's important. Uh, what Colin Kaepernick was pointing out by participate your participation in these national national anthem rituals. 
praising the flag that's still representing slavery and what have you, and then connecting it to the slave catcher violence. See, that's where that programming starts as children, is getting you to pledge allegiance to an ideal that don't even exist. And so many people's reality, prison slavery doesn't exist. In their mind, slavery was abolished in 1865 after the you know ratification of the 13th Amendment. So we just got to keep agitating as those abolitionists did in the past, and we just had to keep pushing it. And, and you know, it may come to a head, and it may take violence. You know, what by any means necessary, as Malcolm said. But I just wanted to add that to you know the dialogue on what it's going to take. Hey, Scotty, I, my sister from uh, Knoxville uh, wants to chime in. Yeah, how? Max, you're going in and out. Man, the audio is terrible tonight. I, I, I'm going to hate to hear what this podcast sounds like, but thank you all for, for bearing with us. Um, yeah, Max, I don't Scotty, see anybody on the board. She is uh, Asheville. Okay, I don't see a Asheville. I don't know their area I code. Got, I see it. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to unmute you Sister Dolores, welcome I'm to New Abolitionist Radio. <laughs> I I'm you. hearing y'all. I got I'm you. I'm with y'all, brothers. I hear y'all. Go ahead and speak up, sister. We got you here. Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, Dolores. You know what? You know, we've been going through hell up here in these hills. It's been terrible. I live in Asheville, North Carolina. I don't know if y'all have seen the national attention that was brought forward with the um, brutality and the beating of Johnny Rush, a black pedestrian, by a white police officer here. We just had Sharon Smith was thrown out of the city council because the mayor couldn't stand to see her. That's our guest from a couple of weeks ago, Sharon Smith. Yes, and we just changed the course of history up here because we had a unanimous decision to change how policing happens here in Asheville, North Carolina. And it took right. Asher Black Lives Matter to do that. And I'm so proud of our organization because we're a nonprofit. And we do what we do. And we're not part of this Soros money. If I'm correct, what you accomplished, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, and add on to it if I'm right, what you accomplished was to require the police now to be able to have to get a written submission yes. before they search someone's car. Yes. And you cannot go off of fear or intimidation because we get nervous when they come behind us. They can't use that no more either. Does that exist anywhere else in this country? No. I've never heard of it. We set the precedent. Brother, we <laughs> set it, the precedent. And it took Black Lives Matter abolitionists. Asheville Black to get Lives it done. Matter. Yes, sir. <laughs> we took Asheville Black Lives Matter, Patrick Connett, D. Williams. Um, it took an EMS from the Southern Coalition of Justice. We did some real work stuff here. It took 18 months, but we got the victory in its hours. Well, see, that kind of answers the question that Swift Justice had as well. Uh, you know, things are happening. Uh, it may seem small in the scheme of things, or it may not, but things are happening. And when you put them all together, there's a wave that starts flowing. Yes, so sir. When you make set precedents like this, now that means that other cities can do the same exact thing. And why can't they? Asheville did it. We're the first nonprofit Black Lives Matter organization in the country. We have never been part of the national organization. 
Charleston has been having issues, and we know what? We support our brothers and sisters down there because Moya was part of us. We want to make sure that other organizations can follow the lead and say we don't need white folks' money, nor do we need white folks' influence. What we're going to do is we change policy for black people, black lives, and the existence of black people everywhere in this country. We're starting here. We're going to take it across the globe. Well, I got to say that I am proud of you. I know you and I talked the day before you went in and you were asking, I guess you just wanted some inspiration. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. And you gave it. Yes, and I, I was looking forward to hearing what you said uh, that, that time. But I know a lot of chaos occurred. As you mentioned, they threw Sharon Smith right on out. She threw her out. Yes, okay. without she any preservation. Me. They just threw her out because of past experiences. They're using our organization because we're known for just coming up in places and saying, you know what, not today. And that's been the problem with us for a long time. So many of us have been penny, nickel, and diamond that we don't know how to say not today because all money is not good money. So what we go out here and do is we make our own money. We are entrepreneurs and we are establishments and we're a nonprofit. Anybody can check out 501c3. We're good with the state of North Carolina. Anybody else who wants to send a donation, send them in. With that being said, what we do is we change policy. We change the policies that influence how black people are treated, the freedoms that we have. I could not celebrate Juneteenth and not have a victory last night. (laughs) Yes, There was no freedom without that. Yes, sir. I understand completely, indeed. Well, I'm very proud of what you accomplished, and uh, shout out to Asheville Black Lives Matter for getting this done. And as I have said for years here on New Abolitionist Radio, you're one of the... Black Lives Matter groups that I've been interacting with who are an abolitionist group and do believe that this is slavery and do want to see this abolished and rather than reform. But it takes policy changes to really bring things home. And you're doing that right now with this new policy, which requires police to get written uh, acceptance or submission before they can search someone's car. They must get written consent. They They cannot do any more predatory measures to arrest harass or pull over black motorists. There will be no more regulatory traffic stops here amongst black motorists. Hey, Delores, we're going to talk more about this, but let's take station identification break, and when we come back on the other side, we'll continue Thank the conversation. Thank you so much for giving you're us listening. this opportunity. You're, you're going to talk more. Hold on for a minute, okay? Thank you. You're, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back after these messages. podcasts and live program scheduling visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com well welcome back to new abolitionist radio uh we've been talking about modern day slavery and human trafficking but we're talking about it in modern way and all the tendrils that's affecting it and we were just announcing a victory here uh with uh, sister dolores out in Asheville, black lives matter uh as i said that they have gotten a policy that requires police get written consent before they can search people's cars. I, 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 hope I have that, a couple uh, of questions. Take that upon. Yes. Yeah, I have a couple yes. of couple of questions for Dolores, is it? 
Oh, greetings to you, my abolitionist sister. I have a couple of uh, questions for you. And first, you know, congratulations on getting that measure passed because, you know, I, as I try to tell people, we have different roles in this new abolitionist movement. My main role is, is to work with propaganda. This news program is propaganda to propagandize, propagandize the people to let them know the truth. Not using propaganda for, to tell lies, but to tell the truth. And so, but it actually takes people like yourself, like the organization you're with, Black Lives Matter Asheville, and other organizations, you know, across the nation actually put the boots on the ground and make it happen. So, you know, I, I just want to, you know, thank you for the effort and for this victory in, in this battle, in this long war to thank abolish you. slavery. Now, my couple of questions are, this new ordinance, okay. now, I know y'all did it for black people, but what, what our antagonists out there need to understand, when these laws are put on the books, that means that you as a Hispanic, you as an indigenous person or aboriginal person, you as a white person in Asheville don't have to let the police search your car, and they have to get written permission. Am I correct? So let me uh, let, let, let me break it down a little bit something. So yes, that's what written consent means. It means when somebody rolls up on you and they say we we think that you just look suspicious, that means you must give that individual their the civil rights, which means written consent. You know we all have civil rights in this country, mm-hmm. and we have always preceded our our human rights with civil rights. But since we have to deal with this country right now, because we have obviously not dealt with our human rights because we see what's going on out here in this world. Right. So we're going to deal with the civil rights. What we do is we have civil rights attorneys who have done this work and went before the, 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 the Supreme Court. We know that one thing precedes anything, so probable cause. Right. So if you think somebody's really that bad, probable cause is going to precede anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the, the, the written consent. So if you think somebody's that that egregious, but you just can't pull black folks over because you think they might have some some weed in their pocket. Right. Just because they look a little bit suspicious. Homegirl got a little bit too much expensive weave in her hair. Mm-hmm. No, we don't do that up here no more. Now, my We're other... We're keep on targeting folks. My other question is, is this a city-wide um, a directive, or does it affect the county? I'm not sure what county that Asheville okay, is in. So let me tell you what, what, what very special relationship we have right now. So we have a black man right now who has just won the city and county uh, majority vote for the sheriff. His name is Quentin Miller. He, this is 21st century policing. And we don't want police officers. We want guardians of the people. This is a black man who is a guardian of the people. So what we want to do is we're going to create our own atmosphere here. These folks don't control us no more. We have gotten in control, and we use the vote to do it with. We want to set the precedent for the rest of the country to say, you know what? What happened up there in Asheville, you know, we were known for beer and beauty, and then we got known for brutality. And people can look us up, and you can see what the atrocities that have happened here. And we've been doing this for years now. I've been part of this for years. You know, my people have been part of this for years. But now, you know what? We have won. So what we're saying is this. You can no longer deny the fact that black people did not have equity and inclusion. You can no longer 
deny the fact that policing, with the data that we've provided, because based by the CDC, police brutality is another leading cause of black death. And that's from the CDC. That's not my word. That's from the CDC. So when we start looking at measures and data and we start using that data to be able, and black people need to start using data. That's why it's so important for us to be data analysis exactly break it down. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to be able to see numbers and break down data. <laughs> this is how we win wars and fight. You know, the, the I always believe I don't I don't read I read the Bible, but I believe in the art of war. And we need to believe in the art of war. And part of the art of war is saying that you know how to con- command and control your troops. And we need to be able to command and control these narratives that we have been put out here that we keep on believing in and we get nothing out of. I believe that as a black person, as a black woman, as a black minority, I should have gotten more money out of my city than minority contracts offered. Out of the $4 million that the city of Asheville had to offer back in 2015 for for minority contracting, black folks got $252 of it. That is atrocious. So I believe in data, and we need to start believing in the data. Numbers don't lie. And that's how we got that initiative passed here in Asheville. I hope other cities follow our, our, our initiative. I hope Charleston and what they did was saying that they need to repeal slavery. Yes, they do, because... Charleston was the worst place in the world for slavery auction blocks, other than Virginia and the rest of the South. But at the same time, repealing the act of slavery is not the is not the fact. We need to get that money back. I agree. I agree. And again, we were just speaking on taking responsibility. Look, we all pay taxes. We we have this yeah. financial energy. We pay taxes. Some of those taxes go to support the slave catchers, the prison plantation system, the child detention facilities, all of that. All of that is our energy that's being expressed in a way that is negative towards us. So a good steward should take responsibility over what he's paying for. If 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 this is a so-called democracy or and what have you, then we should be using the vote. And I have to say, a sheriff's department is the most powerful position in a county. That's the most hired. That's the highest position in any county. And that's a very important victory when you control that office. So I'm with you, sister, on that command and control. If they shouldn't be commanding and controlling us, it should be the other way around. Yes, sir. You know, we're trying to do some great works here. It's really hard because we have not had any national outreach. We've been sitting out here doing what we do. And we do what we do because we have educated individuals. I went to the University of Alabama, so I stood in the schoolhouse door. But five James, where Governor Wallace sat there at, I I, I broke through the, 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 the threshold. So I understand what it's like to have to break barriers. I'm the, the first, I'm the youngest black person to ever graduate from Asheville City Schools. I graduated when I was 16 years old with honors. You know, my mother yes, was the first black person to go to governor school here. You know, I come from a legacy, and I, I make sure, I want to make sure that that legacy continues. So the work that we do here, I hope can perpetuate to other cities, because if it worked here, it can work somewhere else. Anything somebody can do can work somewhere else. I hope folks watch us, they see us, and know 
that because the struggle was hard doesn't mean it's not impossible. Peace, Scotty. Let me let me let me say something about what you just said about the responsibility of taxpayers. Also, when when it comes to and a lot of taxpayers don't even recognize this, but when you pay taxes to these agencies such as police departments, uh, state departments, as far as general funds that fund your uh, Department of Corrections, and all these injustices are going on, when you pay your taxes to this, you are consenting to what they are doing. It is your way of financially enabling these things to happen. And that is what a lot of taxpayers don't grasp. You know, one of the things, and I was conversating about this earlier today, Max, man. I was telling this brother, brother slave that's here with me, and I was saying, man, let me tell you something about the things that when we pay taxes through our checks and stuff, we, we lose sight of what that money is. That's your money. You never see it. Your employers take it and they pay the pay pay the state taxes, federal taxes, and you lose the 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 thought pattern of this actually being yours. And you're saying, "Well, I've never seen it. It wasn't mine." Well, it is yours, and everything and that that money is right. being financed to do, you are not only responsible for, but you are consenting for it to happen. You're absolutely and, right. But let me tell you something about North Carolina. We're the largest private prison system in the country. North Carolina has the largest private prison system in the country. Mm. And we have the largest private pri And my city has the youngest person that was ever on death row in the state of North Carolina. Let me tell you something. I come from corruption. I know dirt when I see dirt. You know, last it's been year, very hard North Carolina was deemed as no longer being a democracy either. And that just happened last exactly. year. Exactly. Exactly. We have been people <laughs> look at us as we, no kind's been looked at as a tourist destination. All we do is beer and, and ride. You know what? What they've been doing is they've been keeping our people drunk and high and they take us on a ride for our tax dollars. These people up here, let me tell you something, we have the worst opioid epidemic epidemic in the state. We have the highest mortality rate amongst black children. We have the worst epidemic of any black person as far as poverty in the state of North Carolina. Folks need to look at Asheville. Everybody think we had a Biltmore house. That was a slave motherfucker. That was a slave person. I ain't going to say what I was going to say. That is a slave owner that took my people and used them as brick and stonemasons and gave them nothing, and we have nothing. We have no business district here. Most cities have a black business district. Think of the cities you live in. I know there's a black business district somewhere, at least two or three of them. We have well, none. Dolores, you know, the victory that you guys gained over there, I agree, it certainly is a victory. The fight ain't over, but it is a victory. You set precedents and others can follow. And you mentioned Charleston, South Carolina, and... You know, I've been working there with the activists in Charleston now for like 15 yeah. years. And just today, they announced that they apologized for their role in slavery. That was their victory. And I'm yet to uh, understand if it is a victory or not. Because Where's that money? Stating, Where's you know, the if money? Just, if it's just lip service, what good is that? What is that doing? Exactly. But Where's the money? Is, Where's the equity? There is something that it does. It adds to the collective admission of guilt. 
It does. And I do agree with that. You know what? I'm kind of upset because, you know, once I watch, and I'm very upset about what happened to Moya, and I'm very upset about the fact that the national organization never once took precedent like they didn't hear. I'm You're very talking upset about Black about Lives that. Matter. Yes. yes. I'm going to tell the truth and shame the devil. Well, we like, have we had, certainly... Go ahead, Steve. You know, when we have folks up here, we have folks up here, and I'm very upset when we have folks up here that that things happen to, nobody came to our rescue. When Moya, and what happened to him was not by coincidence. And the the national organization, and then they're doing national tours, and I'm kind of upset by that, because let me tell you something. We We will not ever be sold out by money. We will not ever be sold out by any type of political influence. And don't get me wrong, I work on a political front more than most people that's black ever will. I've been in politics since the day I was born. So I know politics better than most folks. And I done got rid of some people that shouldn't have even been on city council and I take all that credit. You were also instrumental in the uh, efforts to use land grants to build Uh, communities where the people actually own the property there in the community or controlled what happened to that property. Yes. I just believe that, you know what, it's time, you know, I'm not looking for reparations. I'm looking for human rights. Everybody keeps going back to this civil rights. You know what, I can't deal with civil rights because, you know what, we already went through that movement. I should not be a 39-year-old female in this country dealing with human civil rights. My mama went through that. My grandmothers went through that. I'm not dealing with that. I'm not dealing with Jim Crow. I'm dealing with a human rights aspect. And since the United States government has now taken out of the Human Rights Commission, we we already pulled out of that. You got it makes no me wonder. To now. Yeah, it makes me really wonder you know what, how many people are willing to do what needs to be done? Because you know what, this is not about anymore about, you know, color against color and, and race against race. This is not about money. So you know what, if you ain't got no guns, you better stay at home. Max, I want to say something about what you were saying a while ago about the lip service thing, man. You know, that goes back to something that you and I have discussed before. You say, especially on the political level, <clears throat> how... how at ease now a politician is using the word mass incarceration. They're using it like it's all right now, right? Well, before they wouldn't even believe it. But the thing about it is, is how many of these politicians and people that we were in, we were in cahoots, or not cahoots, we in collusion with, how many are using the word slavery exists? As That's long as white people exist, the word slavery will always be the precedent of what they do. Because white people believe in the slave mentality. That's how they got their privilege. But until we stop using these words such as mass incarceration, such as uh, bail reformation, and start using that word, and Max says it all the time, and I can't say it enough either, let's call it what it is, slavery. But when you have basic people in communities, I deal with basic people. When I say basic, these folks don't even understand why they have been subjugated to the institutionalization that they've been subjugated to. Basic. But America to is also people. 
America is also populated with basic people. And that is what has kept America. I'm not worried about America. I'm worried about our black selves. See, this is the thing about me. I don't care about America because guess what? I've never, I would never be America. I don't look like America. And I get you, brother. I'm not saying nothing against you, but just hear me out for a second. As a black woman, guess what? I can't birth America. The only thing I can do is birth black men and black women to go out here and do what I can't do when I'm dead. I have to look at what happens when I die. Because you know what? Martin Luther King's speech, when he said, you know, I'll meet you at the promised land, I have to think about that. Because I might not make it this far. I don't have children yet. I'm married, but I don't have children. So I have to think about what happens if I cannot fulfill the destiny that my mama started. So I have to breed other people to do what I need to do, correct? We need to breed people in the likeness of ourselves. I I agree 100% with you, but at the same time, I cannot escape my present uh, location, and I am American no matter what, according according to the the, uh, uh, birth certificate that I was born into is... I'm American, and then, and even me, when I'm released out of prison, I, it's going to be a, an act of, of of a miracle. Immigration started with slavery. America. Immigration started with slavery. You know what? They kidnapped us. We were not immigrants. We were kid. We're kidnapped. We've been kidnapped for over 150 years. Just yesterday, we celebrated Juneteenth. So for 150 years, we're celebrating. We're celebrating the kidnapped. We're celebrating people being kidnapped today. What happened was, and I agree with you. What I, what I want to say is we're limited on time tonight. We've got about 10 minutes to cover a couple of stories. I really want to get them in. So what I want you guys to do, is, uh, first of all, I want you to come on the program as a guest, Dolores, so we can talk about everything you want to talk about. And, that, and we do that fine. Maybe next week if you're available, okay? Hey, Max. Hey, right. Max. Yes? Before we move on, though, let me just say this. Swift, I get you. Our abolitionist brother in Maryland, uh, Christopher Irvin, he adopts that philosophy. I may not be, and I'm not speaking for him, but I'm just paraphrasing what he said. He said he said that you may not want, look at me as an American, but as long as you taxing me, as long as on paper I'm a citizen of this country, then I'm going to fight for those rights that that you know what we were talking about earlier so 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 i get it like that i don't even use the term african-american because i don't want to be identified with what america does okay right so but i get in court you are using your status as a u.s citizen to fight well, these things in, in, in court. To know their own rights. Right. That's why I do. I use white people's ignorance against them. That's so, why I do. Now, on the basic, on the question of the basic people, American people in general, people residents here in the United States, don't aren't uh-huh. very highly educated. They're not very highly educated. And, you know, when we talk about they don't get the basics, and I don't mean I don't mean no disrespect out there to anybody that celebrate Juneteenth, say, anybody that celebrate Juneteenth. Say. But that's a celebration of a lie, and that's perpetuating a lie. 
that the United yeah, States, yeah, the United I States abolished slavery money. when they never did. What they did was lie, money. was lie to those people in Texas and said slavery's been abolished and you free now, and then sprung prison no slavery yet, on them. Brother. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I'm about them dollars. You hear me? I'm about my coins and, and my purse. So let me tell you something. I'm like a white girl. I'm just not a snow bunny. I want my money. You hear me? I don't care how it come in. I'm educated, but I'm thug. You understand me? Now, I'm going to get my money any way it come by. And I'm going to get my money for my people, too. So whatever I got to do to do what I do, that's what we do. You hear me? Max. I, I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. And the only thing I can say about that right there is you're going after the American dollar. So if you're going to go after that American dollar, we have to go at, at at this as an American people that we're labeled as, regardless if I want to accept that or not. And, and me, myself, out of the whole uh, audience that's are the whole people that's on this phone call right now, I'm less American than anybody, right, Scotty? Because my civil rights and all that pretty much been limited to some very, very few. I don't, I don't mean no disrespect. But you a slave, bro, and that's just a, that's the honest truth. What did I say earlier? I talked to one of my fellow slave brothers a while ago, right? Right. So, you know, that makes me, I'm, I am less of American than anybody. But at the same time, I think we're all on the same page. We're just talking a different dialect. And I agree. We need to get together as a dialect uh, across the board. And that's why I want to get together as a dialect. We need to start... You know, we all speak a different language because, you know, the seven, the seven towers of Bible, if people really believe in all that, whatever, you know, people speak a different language. But yet at the end of the day, humanity is the same voice. We need to get back to the basics. And the basics is nobody deserves to be poor, hungry, discriminated against, and racialized. 100% agreement on that. Well, I would like to make a, a statement about this. This is a real short one. And again, I, I want to give a chance to get to that Charleston story uh, before we run out of time this evening. So uh, here's what I want to say about what started this conversation, and that was the U.S. Uh, leaving the Human Rights Council. And there was a statement made long ago about the meaning of the U.S. leaving the International Human Rights Council. Now we are yeah. expected to appeal to our oppressors. And as Sister yeah. Ashada Shakur said, Nobody in the world, nobody in history has ever gotten their freedom by appealing to the moral sense of the people who that's were right. oppressing them. That man. So and I am trying to evil. That's what they're expecting us to do by taking and our I'm not doing from it. the United, uh, from the global stage. Us here and Ashley, we show how not to do that. I hope other folks take the lead. All right. We set the precedent. And it's so great to talk to everybody because this is a great conversation. We need to take this everywhere. Folks need to know what's going on in other places so they can do it other places so we can get freedom. And not just this little piece of freedom because it's just a piece. There's a lot more to get. Uh, Max, we can't hear you. It's been going on now for seven years almost. Yes, Scotty? Yeah, I was just saying we could hear you better now, but you were coming in muffled. But we got about five minutes to the break. Did you want to read that story? Is, is there something specific about it? Because I'm with what you said earlier. You know, you're just like I talk about the Human Rights Council or 
or whatever panel it was saying that the United States owes reparation, not just for slavery, but for terrorism and continued oppression. Well, that's all well and good on, on, on paper. And we take your findings in your, in your document condemning the United States, but where's the enforcement? Okay. So your apology for slavery, yes, there's some value, there's some value to it, but like the sister was saying, where's the economics behind it? Where's the equity behind it? Yeah, so, so, and also, also, where is the cause to end slavery in the state of North Carolina, I mean, South Carolina as it exists today? Those people that issued that apology, what are you doing? as modern-day abolitionists to change your state constitution. The thing about it is, what we're doing is, it took, it took 18 months to get the police to stop messing with us just because we look black and scared. So let me tell you something. It's going to take a little bit longer because you know what? What South Carolina did have, they had precedent. Nobody could even argue about South Carolina being a slave state. We know that. Here in Asheville, where I come from, they hold city council meetings 150 feet away from the slave auction block. And folks say, never was there. It's a lot bigger than what people think. See, this yeah, is the we, thing. We know that, and we're trying to get everybody else to understand that, too. It's a global problem. But really, I just want to give the information out about what happened in Charleston first, and then we can discuss anything we want to discuss about it. And also it. what happened in Charleston. I, I commend their city council. Because I ain't going to do it tomorrow, next year, or the year after that. So I'm just going to keep it 100. We just got the police to do what they did. It took three. It took a year and a half for that, and after 150. So I'm just going to say what's real. So we, we've got about, what, two minutes now left before the break, Scotty? I don't think I can uh, do these. Yeah, let me go ahead, Max. Let me go ahead and take the break, but I do want to say um, for those in North Carolina, because sister, I'm based in North Carolina too in Gaston County, right below Charlotte. But um, in 2007, the North Carolina Senate apologized for slavery, but again, they still practicing slavery. So there has been some precedents oh, so here as well. Yeah. So Max, I'm going to take the break and then uh, you can get into the details of that story as we get ready to hit our final half hour. All right. Thanks, Scotty. Uh, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, when we come back on the other side, we're going to read the article about Charleston apologizing for slavery. We'll be right back after this. Black Talk Radio, your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. As I said, I want to get on this story about Charleston and just give you the information. Then we can discuss things about it afterwards. I, I would some things that I find an immediate discrepancy, and that begins with the title. This comes from The Battery, uh, which is the Charleston City paper, uh, you can find it at charlestoncitypaper.com. It says, Charleston officially apologizes for slavery 155 years after the Emancipation Proclamation. And then underneath it, it says, the holy city atones for its role on Juneteenth, 
Now, this happened on Juneteenth, no doubt. But I also want to point out that three years ago and three days to this day, nine people were murdered in Charleston, South Carolina, the Charleston Nine. It was also when I met Muadin de Baja, who gave his life for things like this to occur and for change like this to start happening. So here we go. It says, the details of Charleston's difficult racial past comes to a head during discussions of an official apology for slavery on behalf of the city at Tuesday night's city council meeting. In a packed council chamber, over the course of four hours, citizens and council members spoke with conviction about the merits of passing a resolution apologizing for regulating, supporting, and fostering slavery. The resolution, which passed by a vote of seven to five, was spearheaded by District 6 member William Dudley Gregory in partnership with the Sophia Institute's Social Justice Racial Equality or Equity Collaborative. Early on Tuesday evening, about 20 citizens were sprawled on Washington Square with small park, the small park next to City Hall, watching the meeting unfold in the packed chamber. Gregory quoted Faulkner as he spoke following the citizens' participation period. The past is never dead. It's not even past. And what reminds us of that is what's going on right now with brown children who are being torn from their parents and put into detention camps. He continued, likely referring to the Trump administration's policy of separating children from their families at the U.S.-Mexico border. I hope you hear me, and it sounds familiar, very familiar. And just for the record, the gentleman is a person of color, a black man out of Charleston, South Carolina. The vote comes in the midst of, a mul of multiple celebrations, both positive and negative, surrounding the African-American community. Tuesday's meeting fell on the 153-year anniversary of slaves in Texas, being told President Abraham Lincoln had issued the Emancipation Proclamation more than two years earlier, a holiday ce celebrated as Juneteenth. This past Sunday, the nation mourned the loss of nine African-American parishioners at Mother Emanuel Church in downtown Charleston. Quote, we hereby denounce and apologize for the wrongs committed against African Americans by the institution of slavery and Jim Crow with sincerest sympathies and regrets for the depri deprivation of life, human dignity, and constitutional protections associated as a result thereof. The resolution reads, and it's uh, 13 public, well, it says the document highlights the importance of Charleston to the transatlantic slave trade, 40% of enslaved Africans arrived to North America through the holy city, and hundreds of thousands of African Americans today can trace their ancestry to people who arrived here. Mayor John Tecklenburg choked up as he went through a brief overview of the horrors imparted upon slaves in the city of Charleston, including a city-operated facility where slave owners could pay to have their slaves punished for them. He said a trip to the city's old slave mart help refresh his memory about the city's role in slavery. The city earned a tax when a slave was bought or sold, when he was rented, and for the virtues of his existence, he said. We all enjoy the benefits every day of what enslaved people were compelled to produce when they built so much of the city of Charleston, said former College of Charleston President Alexander. An apology is the only meaning of it's that undeniable truth. At the very least, we can say we're sorry. Unless, of course, you're not sorry, you can let us know by your vote. I'm not going to read the rest of it, which is about 12 more paragraphs. I'll leave it there and open it up for discussion.
please keep your comments brief because we have limited amount of time. We're in our last half hour. So uh, let's start with my co-host, Scotty. Um, this be like an inside comment for members of BTR community, but note that this resolution uh, talked about hundreds of thousands of African Americans, not melanated Americans, not Aboriginal Americans, not these other people that some people want to try to say we are. Um, no, this is apologizing for the enslavement of African Americans, and I'll leave my comments there. I'm going to keep mine brief too, Scotty. What I'd like to say is this. How in the hell? You're going to talk about slavery all day, all over the country, with all of these big events like an apology for slavery, and not even once, and no article mentioned the 13th Amendment. Ain't that what it's all about? How can you avoid? See, omission is a powerful tool. Right. And I watch them use it over and over and over again. And all they have done is try to convince people that they somehow ended slavery at some point in time when that is a goddamn lie. Period. And if you can open your mouth and talk about the freedom of black people and slavery ending and not once mention the 13th Amendment in any freaking article, that tells me that there is a concentrated effort to do that. Anybody else got any comments? Uh, uh, I'm finished with my angry rant. <laughs> yeah, Max, but we documented on the celebrations. Remember, I did a video showing all of these articles written about the 150th anniversary of the of, of the passage of the 13th Amendment, which ended slavery. But every single article that I came across always said involuntary servitude and slavery shall be abolished etc 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 without putting the rest of the 47 words in its entirety because they don't want people to see that big exception clause because I don't care if you are a basic person if you at least got a 12th grade reading comprehension level there's no way you should be able to read the US Constitution 13th Amendment or whatever the amendment is in the South Carolina Constitution and walk away from that and say slavery has been abolished you just simply can't do it. There are, there are two things, Scotty, that no one will talk about in mainstream media or in high levels of politics. They don't want to talk about it at all. Those two things are convict leasing and the 13th Amendment. They, they, they wipe them out of history like they never existed. They won't even freaking mention them. Like you said, Scotty, they will purposely skip those words just so they don't have to let you hear them coming out their mouths. And we sat down and, and broke down uh, videos where experts, some of the alleged most well-versed people on the 13th Amendment on the entire planet, gathered together on the anniversary of the 13th Amendment to discuss it. And we sat there and broke down everything they said, and not until somebody from the freaking audience stood up and said, I I'm working with a prison abolition group and... Uh, what about the 13th Amendment and its exception clause? They had talked for two hours before it ever came up as a freaking topic until somebody from the audience came out and pointed it out. And then they hemmed and hawed and talked about what they didn't know or wasn't sure of, but they were sure of every goddamn thing right before that. I'm just saying, those are the two things. So you should talk about them as often as possible. If you're listening to me, tell people about convict leasing and talk about the 13th Amendment because they don't want you to talk about that. 
Swift, what do you got to say on this, brother? And I was hoping that my, my brother Otis would come in and share something with us as well. All right. Well, I guess it's just me and you, Scotty. Yeah, I don't I don't see uh Swift still on the board. So uh, I don't the if, funk, you have, if you had something to say as well, you could just press star star to unmute your, to unmute yourself. We had to mute you earlier because of the background noise. So yeah, Max, I'm I'm with you one hundred percent in everything you said. You know, it, it's about that fraud that continues to perpetuate. And again, this is why I put out that Juneteenth video and we've been talking about it for years. In the spirit of humbleness in the spirit of truth, we want to let you know that your Juneteenth celebration is supporting a lie. And not to stop the celebrations and the gatherings and the events because you've been doing it for over 100 years now. But now turn those events into abolitionist events and say, you know what, two years after the Civil War ended or the Emancipation Proclamation was issued and in the very same year of the fraudulent 13th Amendment, they went and told these these victims in Texas a bald-faced lie that they weren't aware of because they probably wasn't literate and nobody actually showed them the text of the 13th Amendment. So it is very important to put that text in front of as many people as possible. And, you know, remember last week we talked about Texas and Juneteenth, and uh, we discovered that they started using convict leasing immediately after finding out that the slaves were free. And even till this day, I mean, to 2018, right now, Texas is still using convict leasing. Right. We do have a couple of calls, and we have about, what, 15 minutes left in the broadcast. But we got Otis, abolitionist comrade, and then we have 251. We're going to go to Otis first. Go, Otis. Good evening, gentlemen. I started not to say nothing, but I, I'm going to I'll add in. I sent to Max a couple times today. I'm frustrated. I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm frustrated. The president of the United States just explained to people, that he was going to solve this problem with the people he's detaining and separating from their children. And we all, I think, the abolitionists know exactly how he solved it, and he sold it to America as we're going to put those families back together so these bleeding hearts can stop. But you know who's, who's going to profit from that? The two centers in Texas that were shut down in 2015 that were actually housing these people as a unit when President Obama was still president. Two law, and Dilly, Texas, you can, you can Google it or you can go to New Abolitionists and, ver, Abolitionists and verify this. Those two centers were shut down in Dilly, Texas. One was owned by GO Group, the other by Core Civic. They were designed especially to hold these families and they actually, we covered them and I don't know if you realize at the time we covered them because they applied for daycare licenses to try to uh, increase yes. the money. So Trump has just reinvigorated a program that was shut down under Obama. He's going to extend the ability to hold these people now indefinitely. And he even said so in his public announcement. The law that, they, uh, the, that was settled in a case from 1980 called the Flores Amendment or, or agreement was that these people could only be held a parental group, mother and child, father and child, could only be held for 20 days, then they had to be released to 
outside of containment or detention. Now, he just did an agreement that completely flips that and goes right back to exactly what happened in the 13th Amendment exception clause. He sold it as freeing and, and accommodating these people, when in reality, he just increased the profits of GEO and the core civic. And on top of that, General Dynamics has an agreement along with GEO Group. Now they get to even uh, make more money off the electronic monitor. So you just check it out. This whole thing is a scam. It all goes back to the exception clause. And again, I get frustrated because no one wants to call it what it is, slavery. Thank you, Otis. Um, Max, we got to move it along, and we do have another caller that's been holding on patiently, uh, area code 251. Thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio. Go ahead with your question or comment. 251. Uh, can y'all hear me? Yes, sir. Greetings, Tag. Welcome, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, as always, brother. Yo, peace and, and salute to all the abolitionists on the line and otherwise, you know, who are engaged in this discussion. It's been just mad involved, and I'm greatly appreciating it throughout. And just want to, you know, I'll keep it as concise as possible, but uh, one, outside of this recent victory, which is dope, and I, I did have a question about that. I don't know if uh, the sister is still on the line. Is it uh, Dolores? Yes, it's Dolores. Uh, let me see. If she, yeah, she's still on the line, but she's muted. I'll let her mute it. Dolores is I'm here. See you. There you go. I'm still listening. Peace, peace. I, my my main question was just uh, if you could go into and perhaps it's for uh, next week or when you're uh, as a guest because it might be you know more uh, involved than the time allows for. But just how exactly the initiative was put together like was this through a charter amendment or you know um what what kinds of legislative tactics y'all had to go through over those 18 months to make that happen because there have been you know different types of initiatives um out here you know uh over by where i am and you know in other spots that i'm aware of and you know it's a lot of different approaches for uh, getting an initiative like that off the ground. Okay. So uh, what we had to do um, was we had to organize with people over 18 months. We organized with the Southern Coalition for Justice, um, the NAACP Racial Justice Commission, and other local organizers, individuals, and, and co-conspirators, actually. Um, it took 18 months to get this initiative passed. Um, it went through a council measure because we had council members that we have voted in ourselves. Our city council works for us. Uh, we had a council member that kind of bucked what was authority and um, did a measure that was not seen as legal um, and called a vote before council without a comment. And that vote would, went five to two at that time. And we have several in, we have seven individuals on our council uh, without the mayor being with the mayor. Um, this last night we got that passed unanimously with the mayor, so it was passed because uh, we did a letter writing campaign. We did feet on the ground. 
we use what we do to get people elected. We um, have people, we pick and choose our leadership here. You know, we're, we're, we're starting to pick and choose our leadership because, you know, we're a great city. And I, I was born and raised here. Asheville is a wonderful city. Um, it's the best place on earth to me, if you ask me, because I was born and raised here. I'm the eighth generation of my family. We come from a lot of great history. But at the same time, with history comes admonishment, and it comes with um, a lot of um, issues. So we were able to do this over 18 months, and it took a lot of work. You have to be very organized to do what we've done here. I just hope other cities can use our platform and our organization to do that in other places. You know, and what happened here needs to be put in the public. Absolutely. Full, full agreement. And, and since it was out there in Asheville where um, some heads apparently uh, put up in spray paint Black Lives Matter across the FOP building some a couple months back, isn't it? Um, that happened here, but let me tell you something. You know, we don't believe in symbolism. You know, being a symbolic measure of Black Lives Matter doesn't change policy or no procedure for black Americans in this country. What our organization does here in Asheville is what we try to do is change the policy and procedures that influence and degrade black people to slavery. We believe in abolition to the fullest extent. We believe in abolition to the point that where we change the law. This is what we do here. We're true abolitionists. We change the law to where you're not going to subjugate us anymore by the laws that have kept us in slavery. This is what we try to do here, and this is what we're trying to perpetuate throughout the United States. You, you're right, and as, as you know, this is the place, you know, to, to advocate for exactly that. You know, that, that's what goes on. Hey, Tag. Hey, Tag. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate your questions, man. We got... Mind, body, and spirit coming up here, man. We got like six minutes, and uh, we may not be able to do our final two segments. I'll, I'll leave that up to Max or whether he wants to go in the final comments. But thank you again, Tag. And of course, we will have Dolores back where we can have, where, you know, thank she you. will be the the main guest, and we can go into these Q&A sessions to where people around the country, around the world, because we have a global audience can take uh, take these pointers and put them into action in their localities because it is worth duplicating. They're getting real results. Uh, Max? Quick two-second shout-out, uh, Brother Scotty, Brother Max. Yeah, go ahead uh, real quick. Real quick, I just wanted to shout-out the fact that our sister, after almost four decades, uh, Sister Debbie Africa is finally home out here. Oh, well, welcome to freedom. Welcome to freedom. She should have been featured right. as a writer. We'll get her next week. That's what's up. Yes, sir. I, I wanted to give a shout out to her, too, as well. Uh, Scotty, you're, you're right, Scotty. I, we don't have time to do them. So what I want to do is just give a brief uh, shout out to our abolitionists in profile and our riders of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. This week, our abolitionist profile is William Cooper now, who we've done before, 1816 to 1874. And as I said, he had some statements about the organized church in the United States and their refusal to speak on the issue of slavery, the same thing we're dealing with today. As Dr. King has said, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. So we salute you. Uh, also, our riders of the 21st Century Underground Railroad, which are the Central Park Five, who got their $41 million 
lawsuit settled in 2014 on June the 19th, Juneteenth. And that is uh, Raymond Santana, Kevin Richardson, Antron McRae, Yusef Salam, and Corey Wise. I know this is a little late, but welcome to Freedom Brothers. Welcome right, to Freedom. Scotty, what, what I really want to get in is because I didn't get, the, I only got to do two of the four topics that I wanted to cover this week. Maybe we can carry them next week. But I want to play a short clip that we played once before, and then I want to do our closing statements after that. Is that okay? That's great. I'm pulling up the video now. Yes. Uh, I think people should hear this because it was uh, recorded on air, live air, from a very popular conservative radio program by a man named John Nicholson in 2015. And it was put out about two weeks after he had interviewed Donald Trump. And this is what he had to say. Here's what. Taking it serious, listen to this. Now, here's what would work. And I was asked by uh, by uh, an immigration open borders activist a couple of weeks ago how I would get all of the illegals uh, uh, here in the state of Iowa to leave. Well, I said, well, if I wanted to do that, I'd just put up some signs. Well, what would the sign say? Well, I said, well, uh, I'd put them uh, on uh, the end of the highway on western part of uh, the, the the interstate system and i put them on the uh, eastern side of the the state right there in the interstate system and in the north on the minnesota border and uh, on the uh, south uh, kansas and in, in missouri border and i would just say this as of this date and whatever it's, uh, we decide to do this uh, as of this date 30 this is a totally arbitrary number 30 to 60 days from now Anyone who is in the state of Iowa that is not here legally and cannot demonstrate their legal status to the satisfaction of the local and state authorities here in the state of Iowa become property of the state of Iowa. So if you are here without our permission and we've given you two months to to leave and you're still here, and we find that you're still here after we've given you the deadline to leave, then you become the property of the state of Iowa. And we have a job for you, and we start using uh, uh, compelled labor, the people who are here illegally, would therefore be owned by the state and become an asset of the state rather than a liability, and we start inventing jobs for them to do. We say, hey, uh, we're not going to make Mexico pay for the wall. We're going to invite, though, illegal Mexicans and illegal aliens to build it. We will compel your labor. You would belong to the uh, these United States. You show up without an invitation. You get to be uh, an asset. This is Fred. Good morning, Fred. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. I, I, your idea is clever on the face, but it sounds an awful lot like slavery. I don't. I think it's over like the lead below. So. Uh, no, I'm just. You just read the Constitution, Fred. What is well, what does the Constitution say about the slavery? Well, <laughs> didn't we fix that in about 1865? Yeah, we uh, sure did. And I'm willing to okay. live with their fix. What is okay. the thir- What does the Thirteenth Amendment say? 
Well, you know, I don't have my constitution in front of me. And, and uh, you know, and, and like I say, it sounds like a clever idea. And maybe it, maybe you could make it, uh, uh, put it in, in action. But I think the fallout would be so significant. Uh, you know, I think what, what, would be, what would be the nature of the fallout? Well, I think everybody would believe it sounds like slavery. Well, what's wrong with slavery? Well, we know what's wrong with slavery. Uh, well, apparently we don't. And they never mentioned the 13th Amendment, but that's what he was talking about. And then for him to act like, for him to ignorantly act like this ain't already happening to Americans and not just refugees. I refuse to call them immigrants. I call them refugees. But this has all been going on, Max, and, and he's exactly right. See, they know what he knows what the majority of the people don't know, and that is the U.S. Constitution still allows for slavery and involuntary servitude as quote-unquote punishment for crime. And Jan Mickelson is no just random guy out of nowhere. He is a very popular radio show host, conservative radio show host, and about two weeks after, uh, before he made this statement, he had just interviewed Donald Trump, who was campaigning for the presidency. He had also interviewed all of the Republican Party members who were running for president, and not a single one of them ever denounced a word he said about that. See, he was telling you exactly what they're planning to do, and now they are doing it. They've been doing it. Again, I have to keep stressing this. This ain't nothing new. It has never ended. So they've been doing it. Proper property of the state. Hell, when I was in the military, they said I was the property of Uncle Sam. So I was a sl I was a different kind of slave. So with that said, Max, we do need to close it out, man. I got to get ready for the next program. All right, Scotty, go ahead and give us your final comments, and I'll yes, I just want to thank the very energetic dialogue we had tonight. Um, I think it dispels a lot of common, well, I shouldn't say they common, but misconceptions that we are powerless and that our votes don't matter and that we can't take control and command our taxes and what they go towards. So I just, again, want to shout out Asheville Black Lives Matter, not to be confused with the national one. Um, and thank, you know, Sister Dolores from coming on and sharing that victory uh, with our audience and we can't wait to have her back so that we can get into some of the details so that this can be duplicated across the nation. Max? Um, yeah, Scotty, exactly. I'd like to... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And thanks to uh, Swift Justice as well. Peace to our abolitionist brothers and sisters on the inside. Yeah, I'd like to send out appreciation to Tag and Otis and Dolores and uh, all the people that participated in tonight's conversation. Here's my final comments. It always seems to be like slavery when it happens to anyone but the children of the diasporas. And I am so way past tired of your crap. I know this much. Abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know peace. Peace. Showtime. Just lift your eyes up. 
Let your wise rise up. See the signs of the times. If it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up.